Welcome to Constructed Curiosity, a podcast that aims to expand your horizons and promote personal growth by exploring various topics and having conversations with extraordinary people. I'm your host, Casey Sprague. Thank you for joining me, and let's start the show. Welcome, and thank you for joining me today on Constructive Curiosity. My guest today is Jeremy Izzy Irizarry. He's a veteran, entrepreneur, father, husband, adventure enthusiast, and someone who's had to overcome several adversities. His story was really special for me to hear, and I hope you all enjoyed as much as I did. Thank you for listening. This software takes a second to actually start recording. All right, so today I'm joined by Jeremy Arizari, or Izzy as we affectionately call him, from what I've known him for in the past. So Izzy, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Man, I can't complain. I wish I was where you were. St. Augustine is a much prettier place in Northern Kentucky this time of year, but, you know, it is what it is. Just the way the cards were dealt. So I said, it's been about a decade since we've caught up, you know, in any kind of conversation. So what have you been doing in the meantime? Uh, as of right now, I've been basically trying to lay the foundation for a business that I've been trying to get from the ground. Um, just getting all the logistics and paperwork for, uh, you know, what starting a business entails, you know. So what's been the most difficult part of that? And tell us a little bit more about your business. So, um, I'm like you said, I'm located in St. Augustine, Florida, which is a very uh, big tourist area. You know, it's got a lot of draw for its history. Um, but I'm looking to do jet ski and boat rentals out here. There's the the city of St. Augustine is located mm-hmm. on the water, and there's a huge draw for water sport activities, and um, just looking to jump into that uh, that field. And right now I'm actually working on the funding aspect of the business. Um, and then once I get that, I'm looking to purchase the vessels during the winter where, you know, people are trying to get them, get rid of them at, you know, crazy prices because nobody really, I say nobody, but a lot of the people that are seasonal, they don't ride in the winter. Even though a lot of us we ride year round here, but you know that's when we're going to get the best deals. And uh, as far as location, we've got a couple locations picked out, and I've got insurance in order. Everything. Once I get the funding, then I can you know do the website, do uh, marketing, all that. But that's where I'm at right now on it. So, I mean, as far as what your expectations were for starting a business, how much more difficult is it than you thought? Um, see, for me, I'm one of those that, like, I, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. I mean, some people start these kind of businesses, and it's just like they'll go buy a jet ski, throw it up on Facebook and a couple little ads, and you know, they rent them out, which is, you know, illegal if you're, you don't have, the, you know, the insurance, the all the all your paperwork in order and permits. And, you know, it can be lucrative because you're not paying 15, 17, two thousand dollars a month in insurance for jet skis because, you know, you're cutting all that out. But 
you know, once again, you know, doing it the right way, obviously is just, it's, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, you know, but, um, there's a, there's a lot of stuff involved. You know, you got to talk to city officials, see if they'll even let you set up that type of business in their city. You know, in, in Florida, there's a lot of red tape because of, once again, there's a lot of tourist tourism in Florida in general, which, you know, a lot of businesses like mine exist already. And there's just a ton of liability associated with this sort of business. So Florida's got tons of laws where they're the only state in the country that has these types of laws because of the amount of businesses with jet skis, all that. So, you know, there's a lot of hoops to jump through, but you know, if it takes off, it can be very lucrative if, you know, but once again, it's, you know, location and, you know, business structure. So we'll see once it takes off, you know, if it takes off. So, I mean, without giving away the secrets or anything, what is your angle that you're trying to get people in? What's your you know, competitive edge? Um, so right now there's a marina that doesn't have like the setup that I'm going for. Uh, now that could be for, they don't want that stuff there. I mean, they have multi-million dollar yachts that dock up here. Uh, but, uh, and then another location uh, that is actually out of St. Augustine, where the edge there is, there is nothing on that river. That river, it's a river, and it's up and coming. And they are, I mean, as you know, Florida is exploding at the seams. People are just flocking to Florida right now. So building is just, every corner you turn, it's just trees are knocked down and everything's getting flattened they're just building on top of building and uh well anyways this area um it's got two hotels and those hotels are used for a pretty large venue that is in the middle of nowhere florida and those are the only hotels that they tell you hey if you have family it's where my wife and i we got married and uh when you get family that comes there that's the only hotels that they can stay at if they want to stay in the general area and while they're there there's absolutely nothing to do but it is located on the river so and there's brand new marina right outside the front door of these hotels so you know we're trying to market you know all the family that comes for these weddings basically for our, our business so for example like uh, when we got married, we wanted to get married sooner rather than later. And like pretty much the earliest that they could fit us in was a year out because they're booked every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So imagine they've got that kind of traffic coming through those hotels, but there's nothing for the family. You know, imagine when you go to weddings and, you know, a lot of people are amped up to go to these weddings are excited. They're they have big plans. Nobody really wants to sit in a hotel for two, three days, show up to a wedding and then go home. You know, they want to do stuff when before the wedding, after the wedding. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So, you know what I mean? And then you could market it, throw package deals for, you know, receptions, weddings, you know, people that are there for specifically. And uh, the wedding venue actually uh, will market or advertise our business. Obviously, they want a percentage 
but still, yeah. you know, that's they're that's who we're going to market to. So why not use them as advertisement? So um, plus, like I said, that area is just exploding and it's right. It's not too far. It's like 45 minutes from downtown St. Augustine. And also on that river uh, where we would be launching from, like me, myself and the ski riders that I ride with, uh, that's where we launch from when we go to the springs, which I don't know if people who are watching or yourself, uh, like if you Google Silver Glen Springs, I mean, it's just a natural spring. It's pool water, crystal clear, manatees. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And, uh, you know, that would be a huge uh, area point of interest we would market as well. So that sounds nice. And, you know, the, I've done this freshwater and the saltwater jet skis. I actually like the freshwater better. Oh, yeah. And, and, and as a, yeah. And as a business owner, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, if I do it in St. Augustine, it's salt water, but freshwater, I would, the longevity of the skis would be just exponentially higher. You know what I mean? The skis are not sitting in salt water. They're not having salt waters, you know, being ran through them, sitting. I mean, salt water, as you know, is just extremely corrosive. So it's just freshwater would be like, you know, a dream. So. And that sounds like you got an awesome niche market there too. So that's a, you got the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, there's nothing, like I said, it's a town, an area that it's coming up. I mean, everything from St. Augustine, it's exploding. It's moving out towards that area. People are moving to that area to commute to St. Augustine because St. Augustine's either a, just not affordable or they just, they, they don't have, what they need, you know, in St. Augustine, as far as like the uh, housing, you know. Sounds like you got the right place and right time. Yeah, so that's, that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. And also, I don't mean to draw this out, but uh, uh, like my dad, he owns, my dad owns multiple properties, but he owns one in that area on the river. And uh, he's going to be airbnb it. And he's got neighbors who Airbnb and all that. And that's another area I would market. A lot of Airbnbs in that area on the rivers. I would also advertise and um, talk to Airbnb owners. Say, hey, if you know, if you could, you know, briefly let off to my company in your description. You know, I can possibly give you a kickback. Plus, it just makes their property that much marketable when they, you know, you advertise that. Hey, hey, if you stay at my property, we work closely along with this business. Um, and they can provide jet skis, pontoons behind the house. They will deliver, we will deliver, we'll deliver it right behind the house and you can have it for the day. You can have it for the weekend, you know? And so we would work along with Airbnb and my dad would be obviously my first Airbnb customer that I would work with. And we would just funnel equipment through his property as well. So. No, it definitely sounds like next time I come to San Augustine, I'm gonna have to give you a call. Oh, for sure. For sure. Let's go back in time a little bit before. So you got the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, let's figure out how you got here. So originally from Jacksonville, let's start there. Okay. So we moved from South Florida to Jacksonville in 2006. My mom just finished her degree for accounting and my dad was starting his own business 
So my dad does like network and telecommunications. And um, so he, he basically used the move as a fresh start. He used to work for the man, you know, back in <laughs> South Florida and decided, you know what, you know, he's got the skill set, the knowledge to start his own business, doing the same thing he was doing just on his own. And uh, he also lucked out because obviously, like I said, 2006, he sold at peak in South Florida for as far as housing market. As you as you well know, the crash came immediately after. And uh, so anyways, he used he used that to start his own business. We moved to uh, Jacksonville. I attended high school. Um, now, my plans, I don't know if you remember me telling you this. I told you, you told DeSantis. Uh, but uh, so before I joined the army, I always knew I was joining the army. Always knew. Well, not the army in general, but like the military. And uh, the plan was, though, I was going to go to college four years, go, you know, go the officer route. And then, um, unfortunately, I, I mean, everything happens for a reason. So I won't say unfortunately, but um, I had a lot of money coming in as a young kid. I had multiple scholarships. Uh, my mom, on paper, she wasn't making money because she just finished her degree. My dad was starting his business. So on paper, they weren't making any money, right? So I qualified for financial aid. I had the Florida Bright Future Scholarship. And uh, there was another scholarship. I forget what it was called. And then I don't know if I said financial aid, but yeah, financial aid. So it was like ten to 15000 a semester I was getting. And as a young kid, fresh out of high school, no, you know, no job. I mean... I bought my I bought a motorcycle, bought a car. Well, anyways, as I was going to school, my grades started slipping as I started getting towards my associate's degree. And uh, you know, I guess it was almost like that senioritis, you know, you started getting close to that 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 what's that milestone, and I started mentally shutting down. I would only go for like test prep day, and then um then it just became test day. And then one time when I went in for test day, my math teacher, uh, my calculus teacher was like, uh, what do we owe the pleasure? And that kind of like set me off. I was like, all right, I'm out. So I just left and decided to go to the beach. And um, so I think my dad saw me on a motorcycle with like some girl or something. And he called me. He knew I should have been at school. And he's like, where are you going or why aren't you at school, blah, blah, blah. Then it turned into kind of like a little argument. And then I was playing Xbox one day and then my dad finally got pissed off at me and said, you know, you need to get a job. You're not going to be sitting here. Even though I didn't need the money, he yeah. was trying to instill structure like, hey, you, you need to be working. You, you're of age, you know, granted, yes, you've got money coming in from scholarships, all that, but you need to be working, blah, blah, blah. So he uh, turned into a real big argument. And I said, you know what? I'm out. I'm leaving for the military. I'm joining right now. I don't think they really believed me, but I went straight to the recruiter's office, talked <laughs> to them, and I was joining with the Navy. And uh, Navy started really dragging their feet. It took forever to get, like, sent out. And, you know, I'm over here trying to make a statement that I'm out. <laughs> and uh, it was turning into the world's longest statement. And uh, I might drop on that one. 
<laughs> yeah. So, you know, my I, I felt like my parents really didn't believe me that I was like trying to leave. So one day when I was going to college, uh, going to my school, um, some army recruiters were w- walking out. And then we just started making small talk. And he's like, you ever think about joining the military? And I said, dude, I'm trying. And he's like, oh, yeah, who are you trying with? I'm saying, well, the Navy, and it's been four months. He said, four months. He said, give me two. He said, give me two weeks, and I'll have you sworn in on your way out. I said, let's see it. And uh, so he did it. And I talked to one of my neighbors who's a retired Army guy. He was a tango. And uh, he was 160th. He told me, he said, look, man, if you're going to go in, go in as a 15 tango. He says, if worst case scenario, go in as a uniform, you know, like a Chinook. But he yeah. said, I told him, I was like, what about avionics? That sounds like I can get something on the on, on the outside, a good job. He's like, look, a tango will get you better opportunities. You can get your AMP, you know, like, because I, I guess, and I've seen it, avionics has a little bit harder getting their uh, – power plant or you know like same thing with structures typically they can only get like the a rather than the a and p so but uh but anyways he's like you do that get out get your amp and i got a job for you and uh so anyways i'm like all right i talked to my recruiter i said look i want a 15 tango nothing less he's like oh man that we only got avionics and structures and I said, all right, man, well, call. I've waited. I said, I've already waited four months. Call me when you got Tango. He called me like six in the morning next day. Man, one just opened, you know, real slick. Kind of love you know, for that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like, man, one just opened up, man. I need you to the office right away. So let's lock it in. I said, all right. So I went over, we locked it in, and then I left. And that was it. I left to the military. And then, uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I'll tell you, I, I miss it to this day. I didn't get out voluntarily, so you know. No, if you don't mind going into that, I'm not. I don't know what that situation was. Oh, oh, trust me. This is probably the most stressful time of my life. I mean, it was a very trying time. So, um, I don't know if you remember, but I was 300 PT my entire yeah. military career. 300, 300 plus, and uh, no difference when I was in. Fort Drum, when I was at Korea, when I was at Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah. And uh, well, anyways, uh, one day I was uh, working, helping out another unit at another hangar. They were doing some phase stuff, phase maintenance on the, the Blackhawks. And we got done. I came back. We we were actually getting everybody was getting ready for deployment. We were we were going to deploy again. And funny thing is, is that unit they deployed to Shank. Oh, yeah, I know. It's I guess now it's called Dalkey. Something like I can't. Yeah, somebody yeah. told me, but I don't remember. They closed it down and then they reopened it, and so they should have left that place closed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But anyways, um, so my. E7, my platoon sergeant, he pulls me in. He's like, Izzy, come here. So I, I come in the office and he's like, Hey man, what's uh what what's the status of you being able to like what's the what did, what did he say? He said, What's the odds of you getting E6 if I streamline everything you need before we leave? I, I told him, I said, 
well, I've got max points. I got max college ed, military ed. I got max PT. I was 40 out of 40. I said, I got everything. I just need ALC and send me to the board, blah, 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 all this. He says, let's do it right now. He's like, because between me and you, the East one, but he said, realistically, both E6s, but one of these E6s we're going with. He's like, look, I can't do it because he's short of chromosome. So I, so I said, I'll do it. I said, look, he said, I want you to be my E6. So I said, okay, let's do it. So he's like, when can you take a PT test? I said, I'll take a PT test right now. So, I, you know, like I was always ready. Any moment, I didn't need, oh, I need a three days and this. No, I, so I said, I got PTs in the truck. So midday, I throw on my PTs and we start running about a quarter mile in. I stopped, I had to stop. It felt like I was breathing through a straw. So, you know, my platoon sergeant, he's, he was also a beast. I mean, dude is like huge buff, but still can run. Dude sprints to me in full uniform, comes up, it's like, uh, you good? And I'm like, dude, I can't breathe. And he's like, you sure you want to do this during the middle of the day? I mean, it wasn't like it was super hot or anything. And I'm like, I mean, we can try. He's like, all right, we'll try again in like three days. So we tried again early in the morning. Same thing. Roughly the same vicinity of where I fell out the last time, about a quarter mile in. And he ran back up to me. He's like, bro, this has got you kidding me, right? And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And uh, so he's like, all right, man, well, you need to, you know, get checked out. So I went and got checked out. And good old military docs, you know, they're, I, I, it's hard to say, you know, they're worse than the VA, but some of them are. It's and it's a uh, they. This guy, this guy was like, "Oh, it's allergies," you know. It's don't worry about it. It's allergies. The pollen up here. I'm like, dude, I'm from Florida. We get pollen too. And never. I'm like, we've never had. I never had an issue with pollen. And he's like, it's allergies, allergies, and so now, um, now I'm freaking out because now I'm like, okay. Uh, He's saying it's allergies. I know it's not allergies. I need to get to the bottom of this. And on top of that, now I'm approaching my ETS. So, and I need an updated PT card to re-enlist. So now I'm freaking out. Like, okay, so now I go talk to my platoon sergeant. I'm like, yo, um, I'm trying to re-enlist, you know, while I figure this out because I don't want to get like, I'm not able to figure this out. And I just pretty much get forced out ETS because I, I can't reenlist without that PT card. So, you know, we're trying to see if we can, you know, sweet talk some of the people in the orderly room, they're new, they're new people. And they're, you know, they're straight as an edge, which, you know, Hey, it's army regs, you know, good on them. I'm not faulting them for sticking to the regs, you know, and you know, if they sign with pencil with me, they got to do everybody else, yep. you know, you know, even though I've, had a 300 on every single test since, you know, I came in, but still, you know, fair is fair. So anyways, um, now I'm trying to figure this out. Uh, I keep going back to the medical saying, Hey, they put me on every allergy med known to man, right? Allegra, Zyrtec, Claritin, uh, Benadryl. I mean, everything, nothing's working. And so now I'm talking to people outside of like the, 
you know, TMC, the military um, medical facility. And uh, they're telling me, hey, why don't you ask for a PFT, a pulmonary function test? See what's going on. I'm like, all right, that's a good idea. You know, me. so I go in there, next appointment, and I ask for a PFT. And my doctor's like, you don't need that. Trust me. Give the, I know, I know. Like, this is coming out of their pocket. Like, I say, I say, excuse me. I say, you know, what is it going to hurt? So we can cross it off the board. He's like, trust me. He's like, I'm the medical professional. I I wouldn't steer you wrong, blah, 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 this and all that. So I'm like, okay. Like I said, all this is just, time is just passing by. We're just killing time at this point. You know, people are getting close. They're getting close to deploy. And now I'm like, I, they've already cr- crossed me off as not deploying, you know? Um, and, you know, me, I wanted to go. I, I enjoy all that. I enjoy all that Army stuff, field stuff, deployment. I, uh, what's that called? Uh, TDY. Love it. Volunteering myself for everything. And, uh, well, anyways, um, they uh, send me to, no, they don't send me yet. And uh, so now I'm talking to, like, the ombudsman, the civilian rep that, like, if you have any gripes and complaints about, like, you know, the physicians, you can go uh, talk to them. I've become best friends. I'm like, yo, I need something, right? So finally, I go and I get the uh, battalion sergeant major and battalion colonel involved. I said, look, you know what? Open door policy. Because right, I'm, this is my health. I'm trying to stay in. So finally, they uh, put a little pressure on him. And he finally gives in. He's like, all right, look, just so you can sleep at night, we're going to send you. They send me. I go do it. And lo and behold, they say you've got moderate to severe asthma. So, yeah, so now I'm like, okay, I've got an answer, you know. Um, So now it's like really like where is this from, you know. Um, Quick little side note, the hangar that I was stationed in, they did a health inspection in like 2016. I was there. I got out of there 2018. I've got the memo and everything. It's like 42 pages long. And they found black mold, asbestos, lead paint, uh, green mold spores. They found uh, dead animals inside the AC ducts that were like decomposed. Um, so it was just a petri dish of just pulmonary problems. Yeah, and all kinds of terrorist stuff in there too. What happened? All kinds of terrorist stuff. Good Lord. Yeah, and what's crazy is there were so many people getting medically discharged from that area due to pulmonary. A couple of my buddies, a captain who was, I mean, super in shape, discharged for asthma. I mean, so I don't know. I'm assuming probably 20, 30 years, um, two in the morning when I'm breathing through an oxygen tank, I'm sure there's going to be an infomercial. If you were stationed at Savannah, Georgia in the 2000s, you might be entitled to financial compensation. I'm sure that'll be there, just like the Camp Lejeune and the earplugs and yeah. all these other. But anyways, so now they do the pulmonary. Okay, I've got asthma. So I talked to my platoon sergeant, my first sergeant, my commander. I'm begging them. I said, look, can you please talk to my doctor? Because this guy doesn't play ball with me. And tell him, if ask him if he can give me a medical extension 
so I can stay in the military until I'm rehabilitated and I can pass my PT test so I can re-enlist. And uh, they're like, absolutely, we'll put in the word, we'll get, we'll get you that extension. And shockingly, he, he agreed to it. So I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to get rehabilitated, do this, do that. And uh, way before when he, they thought it was allergy or when we first found out it was asthma, he asked me if I wanted to do, if I want, if I needed a profile and I've never really had a profile. So I said, no, I'm good. I'm 300 PT, my unit. I don't have to do PT with them. They 300 PT, they, they tell you you don't have to do PT, you know? So, you know, each unit's got their own little incentives. So I'm like, no, I'm good. And plus my unit, everybody knows me. You know, I was the height and weight NCO, PT failure NCO. So they were like, you know, I was like, I'm good. Don't need any of that, any paperwork. They know. Well, I actually shot myself in the foot by that, but we'll get to that in a second. So anyways, now um, he, he agreed to the, uh, he agreed to the medical extension. And uh, so now I'm trying to rehabilitate myself uh, and time is passing and I'm getting kind of anxious because I haven't seen or signed anything stating that I'm going to be medically extended. So, you know, now it's like, Okay, so now I need something. I need something tangible to where I can say I can, you know, sigh of relief, like, all right, you know, I'm going to be in here for a little bit longer. And, uh, well, once again, just like how I had to fight him for a pulmonary function test, um, nothing. So now I'm freaking out. So now I'm asking him, hey, what about this medical extension? Oh, don't worry about it. I got you. You know, I told you I'm going to give it to you. I'll get it. And I was like, you know, by the second time I told, I went in there, I told him, I said, Hey, you know, I don't want to pester you, but you know, I'm approaching my ETS and it's one of those, I got to figure out what I'm going to do on the outside or do I continue rehabilitate you there? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. It, it just said poor connection. Um, so I got to figure out what's in, you know, my future holds. So he just kept reassuring me, I, I got you, don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. Well, then it became crunch time. It was like, I would say, four months out from ETS, which is very close. Oh, yeah, very it, tight window. Yeah, and I've got nothing. So now I'm in panic mode. Once again, I, I try to pressure him with the battalion and brigade commander. Nothing. So then I'm like, we're just going to work our way up. I went brigade, talked to the brigade commander and the brigade sergeant major. Nothing. He's now getting a little bit more, you know, a little bit more rude when I get into the office when I'm dealing with him now because he knows he's getting pressure. So I think he felt that since this was up to his discretion, he felt like he didn't have to do it now. You know, like, you know, so I basically – even though they were pe uh, pressuring him, he was not obligated, you know, to give me a medical extension. You know, it's still, you know, his word. So anyways, um, nothing is happening. And finally, I start asking 
the civilian rep and the ombudsman, okay, he's not giving me this medical extension, then I should be more than uh, eligible for a medical discharge. You know, I've got asthma, which is a med, a med board, uh, you know, disability. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so now I'm talking to these people and they're like, oh, absolutely. Blah, blah, blah. So now they're contacting him. Now they're trying to send paperwork up to get met like for a med board. And like I told you before, because I did not accept that, uh, what's that called? Profile. profile by regulation i have to be on profile x amount of days or months or like i think it was a year or six i don't know what it was but because i did not do that i was not eligible for a med board well i didn't find that out till after but i went through everything i even went and got the congressman involved for the Set, uh, the district in Savannah went there, and then when that happened, I got pulled aside uh, at a PT formation. Oh, let's not even get started. My rear D commander was good friends with the med doc, and so now my commander was giving me. He was making my life hell. Okay, okay, thank you. And uh, so he was making my life hell. And like, I'll tell you like some examples. So PT formation, once again, don't have to do PT, but they wanted everybody showing up PT on rear D, fine. Even if you don't have to do PT. So I was having my appointments in Stewart, which was an hour away. PT formation at 6.30. My appointment was at eight o'clock, right? Hour hey, drive. Easy drive. I've done that one. Good yeah, luck simple that math. yeah, simple <laughs> math says, I leave PT formation, which typically takes about 15 minutes. Everything's done, sing the song, accountability, release people to the rear. Seven, so 6.45, I'm taking off to get there at 7.45 for an eight o'clock PT formation. Now, what uniform would you think I should be in, in a, in a, in a unit that says that you gotta be in actual uniform for uh, your appointments, not, uh, not PTs? So, Obviously, I'd show up in uniform, right, mm -hmm. for this formation. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, so now they wanted everybody to be in PTs, whether you had appointments or not, right? This is just one of those little things that drive people out of the military, you know, like where common sense apparently is not common. You know what I mean? Oh, it was more of a, yeah, it was more of a power grab. You know, they were they just wanted to instill their 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 rank, their power rather than use common sense. But anyways, that's fine. So they gave me crap for it the next time i had a uh, an appointment it was at like 7 30 and um it was same place and i told him hey i was just going to show face and then i had to get out of there showed up in full uniform again right even though they told me not to, i said look i have no time i told i i messaged my squad leader and they were cool with it and show up Bam, the acting platoon sergeant for rear D, which was an E6, uh, she was, I mean, livid. So it got into a heated discussion between both of us. She's like, let's go talk to first sergeant, which was a, a E7, you know, acting first sergeant for rear D. Went and talked to him, turned into a whole ordeal. Now 
you know, I'm feeling like nobody's got my back in this. I'm only here on rear D, not because I'm getting med boarded, not because I'm somebody trying to skate their way out of a deployment, some shit bag, none of that. You know, I'm somebody who wants to be in and is fighting to stay in, but now I'm getting, you know, people making my life hell. So, like I said, this was stressful. I don't know what's going to happen if I'm getting med boarded, before I'm ETSing. I got people treating me like I'm just some shit bag trying to skate over on them. Um, so I contact the first sergeant, uh, when he's in Afghanistan and my platoon sergeant, and I tell him what's going on. I said, yo, can you please talk to these people? Cause you know, they're treating me like I'm just some shit bag over here. And uh, they're like, we'll, we'll talk to them. And you know, one day it got real bad. We were arguing and I talked to the first sergeant again and for rear D and he pulled me aside. He said, look, man. I know you got stuff going on medically, and I keep getting messages from downrange from the commander and first sergeant, and they talking you up, up and down. And he was in our unit; he was just in a different, in a different platoon. He's like, I've seen you around. I know you're good shit. I know you're high speed, but you know we still have to follow instructions, obey orders, this, that. And I'm like, I have no problem, but I am literally just going to my appointments, trying to figure stuff out, blah blah blah. Well. That one day I get pulled out of PT formation, the commander pulls me out. He's like, hey, let's go to my office. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. So I go to his office and he's like, here, you have some paperwork to sign. And I'm like, what is this? And he's like, uh, I guess he's like, I guess you uh, you've initiated a congressional inquiry. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. And he's like, yeah, well, you got to sign this paperwork. So I signed all the paperwork. And I have a meeting with. Uh, Van, Van something. Anyways, that's Captain Van something. That's his, the 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 doc. And I have I have, I have a sit down with him. I mean, doesn't let me. I go to talk and cuts me off. And he's like, "So you want to get a congressman involved? I told you I was going to help you out. I told you I was going to do this. Like I said, haven't seen anything. Just been an uphill battle. And he's like, now you want to get the congressman involved? He's like, I have something for you. You can deal with the VA when you get out now. I'm done helping you. And I'm like, okay, so that's it. And he's like, that's it. He's like, you have anything else? I said, no, we're good. And I just walked out. And from that day forward, I just went and I, any issues I ever had, I pretty much PCS to the aid station because I said, you know what? I've had knee problems in the military, back problems, but I've always fought through all of it just because I wanted to go air assault, wanted to go all these uh, light fighter schools, all these uh, advanced leadership courses, because I was supposed to go to uh, all these high speed courses. And, you know, with all my stuff going on, it just wasn't happening. But uh, yeah, so that that was the so basically, yeah. And then. And then one day it got into an argument with the E6 and I walked straight across the, the uh, building across the street to the uh, battalion, went to the, to the Sergeant Major. I told him what's going on. The same thing. I said, look, Sergeant Major, you can look at my ERB, look at my NCOERs. Uh, I do what I've got to do, plus more what the military asked of me every single day. I 
you know, they used to have functions with the baseball team from like Savannah. And I volunteered to be, you know, one of the people that competes against these guys. You know, I love stuff like that. I, I had a blast and always got, you know, I've got a, tons of awards for always volunteering. And so anyways, I told him like, Sergeant Major, like the one time I need the army, it feels like they're turning their back. And he's like, we're going to get this situated, blah, blah, blah. And once again, the acting first sergeant comes and talks to me and he's like, He's like, have you ever heard of a chain of command? And uh, I said, Roger, first time, but I'm also aware that there's an open door policy. And he's like, well, you need to at least let me know that you're going to go talk to the sergeant major. And I said, look, all due respect, first sergeant, I haven't been getting any help at, at the company level. So this was why I was doing this. Then once again, this E6 is button heads with me. She's like disrespecting me in front of everybody. She's like yelling at me like I'm a kid. You know what I mean? In front of like E2s, E3, you know, just regular, oh, you know, junior guys. Yeah, junior enlisted. And um, <clears throat> I said, you know, you could pull me aside and you don't have to talk to me like that. And she says, she like yelled at me to go to parade rest. And I'm like, all right. So once again, I felt like a little kid telling on dad i went across the street and when i was going across the street the first sergeant saw me from his window and he comes running and i guess i'm i'm assuming sergeant major had to talk with him and was like yo you need to figure something out with your company because they're coming over here because you can't handle it or something i'm assuming you know i'm sure it's not a good look so he comes and talks to me and he's like he's like what's the issue i said i told him i said look man i'm about at my breaking point with this chick and i i can't do it anymore I, she, she's disrespectful she thinks i'm just some person who's just you know trying to skate out of this i was like you've already acknowledged you know who i am what i've done you know i i'm not just i'm trying to get my health in order i'm trying to stay in you know this i i like the military loved it and uh he's like i understand man he's like you know but you know you've got your issues your medical he's like tell you what how many days, how many days of leave do you have? And at that time I had like three weeks of leave, you know, and I wasn't going to go on leave because, you know, I'm still actively trying to stay in. I, I talked to JAG to try to see if I can get med boarded. I talked to civilian lawyers. I talked, dude, I was talking to everybody. I even talked to, I was contemplating talking to the news and exposing what was going on as far as me getting sick due to the living conditions, the working conditions. And like just blowing the top on this, but I decided against it because like I said, I was still hopeful that I can stay in. Anyways, the first one talks to me, he said, how many days to leave? I said, like 21. He said, he looks at his watch, pulls out his phone. He's like, okay, so 21 days. He's like, that'll leave you one week from today to out process. He's like, do you want to do that? And he's like, if you do that, I can assure you, you will not have to report to anybody. You have one week to out-process and you show up. If you've got an hour worth of out-processing for that day, you go home for the rest of the day. That is it. He's like, that is the best deal I can give you right now. You know what I mean? To help you out. He's like, because it's not looking like you're getting med boarded, not looking like you're getting an extension. He says, I can assure you that's, you know, 
that's the best thing you won't have to deal with her she you won't fall under her you're going to be your own little entity man it was a sad day i was i mean it was crushing but i was like you know what other option do i have so i said you know that you know that's fine he's like he's like do the leaf form i will hand walk it everywhere it needs to go to get it expedited and we will get this rolling and you know the rest is history i he did that and i ets'd that's a tragedy uh, when that, it, those things have happened to very soldiers that is an absolute tragedy and it highlights the failures of the system i mean i know yeah. we don't want to don't go into all the failures, but I mean, there's just, to me, fundamentally, it's a leadership failure. Yeah, it 100% is. And then, you know, like even the first sergeant, when he got back, he was telling me, he said, you know, uh, he's like, you know, I ripped these people for it. He's like, you know, that was, he's like, you were one of my top soldiers. He, I was like his right-hand man. He was huge on PT. He was huge on like height and weight, he, there was no slack given with him. Like I, he didn't care if you were an ounce over. Like it was, it was a wrap. That's it. You know, it PT failure, no slack either. And he told me, he said, but anyways, yeah. So he he ripped them and he said, look, man, he same thing you said. You know, pretty much. He said it was a tragedy that they let you go. He's like, you know, this absolutely would not have flown with me and you know the commander at the time, um, but it is what it is and you know um i went filed with the va and they they take care of me now but it's you know it's always one of those things that's been sitting in my mind and i've still well not still i've got closure now so i i went and sat down with somebody in the va told them that exactly what we just talked about and i told them i said hey you know i believe they're like you absolutely. And they told me like the form, they told me like the, I don't know if it was a, some kind of, it, it was basically like legal documentation stating uh, of scenarios like this, what they would do. And it's basically, they would take me, uh, swear me back in and then start the process, but I would forfeit my current percentage. So, like right now I'm at, you know, I'm at a hundred, you know, and it was kind of hard, you know, like I'm not, you know, I'm, I would either get a hundred or 90, but still it's just, my thing is, is why would I jeopardize that when the only thing I would gain realistically, excuse me, is TRICARE for life, but I still have Chant VA, which is, I mean, it's not like TRICARE for life, but you know, it's a very good alternative, you know what I mean? So um, it was like, what am I willing to risk the dice or roll the dice? Am I willing, you know, to risk it? So, you know, I had a long, you know, I had a long think about that, you know, as far as like, you know, it, it just felt like I was gonna finally write up this wrong, but it was just, you know, I've got my family, it's like, to jeopardize it for, you know, something for myself, you know what I mean? So I was like, you know, we'll just let it stand. And I've pretty much come to the realization, you know, you know, it, it was wrong what happened, but like I said, everything always happens for a reason, you know, what I would, maybe I wouldn't be here where I'm at, who knows?
I mean, definitely some major growth there. That's awesome that you've been able to overcome that, you know, been able to realize yeah. the whole situation. Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, I mean, by far the most stress. And, you know, we were in shank getting rocketed every day. Oh, you know, that was a that was, that's a breeze in the park compared to <laughs> what they put me through. I mean, it just mentally was just, I mean, it was, it was straining. With you going into your own business here, what are some of the lessons you took away from that terrible situation that you're able to incorporate in your life now, especially as a leader of an organization? What would you try to do differently? Well, hopefully I get to the point where I can hire employees. Obviously I would, that's, that's the goal. And, um, as you know, in the military, your leadership, your superiors, they make the experience. Oh, yeah. oh my God. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's some people you could handpick and said, Hey, if these were the, my higher ups and they progressed, as I progress, say you were captain and they made it to major and you made it to major, they made it to current and they were just over you the entire time. You could, you'd be like, I, I would do 20, 30 years. Oh, you know what I mean? Definitely. You know what I mean? It's those people that just put that bad taste and you're like, military sucks. You know what I mean? And, and that's the thing, you know, like as a entrepreneur and a business owner, I would, the same thing, you know, I would try to instill an environment that's, you know, enjoyable to be around where nobody's, you know, afraid to talk to you, approach, you're approachable. Um, you don't look down on that, you know, your, your, uh, your coworkers or, you know, of the sort, you know, it's just, just create a, a healthy environment, work environment. And, you know, that's, that's basically ultimately, you know, what I've taken from the military in general. It's just, uh, just toxic leadership is just, I mean, it's, it's a cancer. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, that's something you'll see it on all different equations. I mean, I see it on the civilian side as well as when I was on the military and it really does. That's what makes a difference in any organization is what that culture's like. And especially for the profit the for-profit sector and the private sector, that's really where it's even worse in certain organizations I've seen. Yeah. You know, it's all about the dollar. They don't care about, it's the, all, yeah. it's about the dollar. Exactly. And you you know what? You get what you pay for, you know? Mm-hmm. You wanna if you want to hire minimum wage help, you're gonna get minimum wage effort. And and if you treat people as bottom of the barrel, you're gonna get that bottom of the barrel mentality when they show up. You know? Um and like I said, I just, it definitely was a humbling experience, the, the whole ordeal. Yeah, but I mean, I said, the good news is you learned a lot of things from it and it sets you up for where you are now. And I think you're on the verge of doing a lot of great things. You've already done a lot of great things, but you know, you're right there on the cusp of getting this business up and running. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we're uh, we're excited to get it running. I'm I'm super excited. I'm ready. Well, I'm ready to get working again because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, my RV trip. You, uh, I I quit my job at Northrop so we could go on that, and now I'm trying to get the business up and running. And it's just like being home. People might think, man, he's got it nice. Just sits home until you sit home <laughs> for months straight, and you're like, all right, I'm about this close to losing it. So, 
Now, even the even the working from home sometimes that was a hard transition for me when I left the military. It was just okay. What am I doing? I, I get up and I log on to a computer whenever I feel like it. So it's a little, it's a little bit different process, but yeah, it's just it's something you got to get used to. But let's dive into the RV trip. And to me, that's awesome. It's something my wife and I have talked about doing for years. We haven't had a chance to yet. So tell me a little more about that. Okay, so um, I've actually grown up with RVs. My parents since we were little, uh, we grew up RVing and uh, loved it. Um, so we bought an RV, we bought a 2020 uh, Heartland Mallard. It was about 37 feet long and it was extremely long. And I had a 2020 F-150 at the time. And that thing bullied my little truck. I mean, F-150 is not really a small truck, but it bullied it because 37 foot long, it's just a sail on the back. We're going down the road and we're just bouncing around. People are probably watching, like filming, like this thing's gonna lose it any minute now. But uh, we took it on a couple test runs. We went, I think like six hours was the most. We went to like Alabama. My wife picked out the place and I didn't even realize, but it was like right outside of Rucker. I'm seeing all these, I'm seeing all these Blackhawks and I'm like, where the hell are we? So I go and I look, open up the map and I'm like, we're literally 25 minutes from Rucker. And what was the place called? Uh, it was something spring state park. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Corn, not Coronado. I, I've flown over there so many times, and I can't. Think yeah, of it's point. it's just like a big, it's just like a big like swimming pool with a big spring in it. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I think it was like Blue Spring, Blue Spring State I'll, Park. You know, after this, I'm gonna have to Google it, and I'll I'll text you and let you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, we go there. We have a great time, and uh, you know. We, me and the wife start talking and I'm, I, I, there was no convincing for me. I was ready to do it. Pull the plug. My wife, she's, you know, she's uh, an island girl. So she likes beaches and she likes, she, and she also likes stability. So, um, <clears throat> I finally convince her and I'm like, you know, we can save money. We can, you know, save a ton of money. Um, cause she was medically discharged. Well, like from the military. So. Um, so, you know, with her VA, my VA, and then, and then the market, uh, we bought our house for like 300,000 and it went up to like 575, almost 600. So yeah, the market just exploded over here. So we, we were like, okay, hold on. Mortgage is like, it was like 1300 and the rental was like 32 to 35 that my house was going for because it's like 3,000 square feet. So Zeus and uh, so anyway, give me a sec. So we're like, all right. Um, so we're like, uh, we'll rent it out. We'll make money profit on the rental. We'll make, you know, our VA. And we won't have much bills. It'll be, I mean, gas. We'll have the truck payment and the RV payment. 
and uh, we we planned on doing like a lot of like uh, boondocking, which is I don't know if you're familiar with. It's like uh, off the grid, yeah, huh? away from RV, off the grid, away from the RV parks. Yes, yes, yes. So, so you know, which saves on uh, as far as like state park fees or resort fees. Um. So, anyways, um. So we're like, okay, we 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 had a plan, and we're gonna set into motion. Once we started doing these little trips with the the, the big RV, we're like, this is a uh, too much RV to be. And, and after doing research, people are saying, you know, if you're doing boondocking and and off grid camping, that uh, that's that RV is too big. So you know, they're saying a lot of these places that have like dry camping and boondocking and. They're saying like some of these places, also state parks, they have maximum sizes that you can bring in and especially the national parks, national parks, they don't allow nothing big. Some of them are like nothing more than like 26 feet. So, yeah. So anyways, um, we, uh, we come to the realization, okay, maybe we bought a little bit too big of an RV. So with the market, what's crazy is we bought that RV used at a dealership at a, a gander rv and we're like it's too big about six months later we sell it which like everybody knows this is unheard of i mean with covid everybody knows what happened then but yeah. we sold it like six months later for like three thousand more than we bought it for so Man. yeah i know imagine, imagine buying something from you know a dealership and profiting six months later like that's just unheard of our grandkids will never believe us and uh so yeah so anyways so we we sell it we decide to downsize we buy a about 25 25 footer and uh buy 25 footer and i you know my f-150 would have handled it but i still went out and bought an f-250 diesel so I, I decided, no you know what? That, okay. huh? <laughs> so there's no doubt with that one. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, you know what? We're going to be in the mountains. We're going to be doing this. We're going to be off road, off the grid. You know, I want a truck. There's going to be no doubt in my mind. That's not, you know, my trailer gets stuck. It's that thing is yanking it out. You know what I mean? And it actually turned out to be a very good investment because, well, because it had a lot of features that, you know, my, my gas truck didn't have like, uh, like, uh, exhaust braking. So coming down those steep, you know, declines, I didn't have to touch brakes. And, you know, a lot of those people, you would see those runaway ramps. There was RVs using them. There was trucks using them, you know, so stuff like that made it worth it. I mean, but also when we budgeted for this gas was a lot cheaper than when we, uh, when we took off diesel went up about 40 to 50 percent it was almost doubled uh when we took off um which is more than 40 50 percent wow i'm gonna have to edit that out my math is off yeah so anyways um so anyways we take off and uh we ended up finding out she was pregnant before the the trip and uh um 
Well, I was going to say, we ended, we ended up finding out she was pregnant, and then we took off, and we decided, you know what, we're just going to make the best of it. We're going to try to hack it as long as we can. And uh, when we take off on the RV, we decide, you know what, we're, we don't think we're going to make it a year, so we're not even going to clear out our house for a year. My aunt and uncle decided they were going to build a house down the road, and uh, so they stayed at our house. We left all our furniture, which made it super nice um oh, yeah and yeah so we rented it to them and uh we took off they they watched the house for us it was nice you know we didn't have to change mailing didn't have to do anything it was just we just left we grabbed our stuff we moved our clothes out of our room and they took over they they had a place to stay didn't have to pay the crazy prices that you know for the local area and uh they got to watch their house get you know get built every step of the way so anyways it was a win-win for everybody we we take off and we take off in the middle of like february so you know you know as you know most of the other states they participate in these winter games we don't over here in florida but so we had to stay on the southern coast and uh we stayed on the southern we you know we hit georgia alabama louisiana uh everything we went to oklahoma kansas arkansas texas new mexico arizona nevada and then last stop was california and then that was when the wife was pretty well on into her pregnancy and the nausea from cooking in the rv she was wow. running running out of the rv couldn't couldn't hack it that's a small quarter to be have nausea. Exactly. Is she? I would open the, our little pantry area. She's sprinting out. <laughs> open up the fridge, sprinting out. Cooking in the air fryer, sprinting out. So we would get to national parks, you know, like especially the ones in California. Um. Uh, what was I going to say? In the, in the parks in California, I mean, it's like two hours just to get to the top. And we couldn't enjoy any of the overlooks because she's, where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? She's ready to get out. So, um, you know, that's when we realized, all right, you know, this is coming a lot more work than it is, you know, enjoyment, you know, and she really wanted to see the Oregon coast, but she just, she really, she couldn't even hack it. And we were right there, San Francisco, right, you know, further up north. Yeah, not very far at all, yeah. Yeah, so she was like, look, I gave her the option. I said, look, we can go do that and then head straight home, but she's like i can't do it anymore you know so we decided to cut the trip short and we we came back but uh i'll tell you what we i, I didn't forget to mention but we did we did outfit our uh our uh, rv with uh 400 watt solar two lithium batteries inverter so that's what was able we stayed in arizona one time in the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere and we were out there for like eight eight days. Oh man, that's yeah. ridiculously long time for me to think about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the reason we were able to do that is because uh, my buddy lived in. This was right outside of Mesa, and my buddy lives in Mesa. Wait, Ricker. Oh, Ricker! Yeah. I remember Ricker. Yeah, you remember Ricker? Yeah, he's a, he's he's in Virginia now, but uh, 
Ricker, we went and stopped and saw him and he, he let us, you know, refill. I had, you know, portable water containers. That was really our only issue was water. You know, that's the only factor that would keep us there, you know, longer or, you know, shorten our trip. It was just water. That was the only factor, the only variable. And, uh, you know, so I was able to refill at his, uh, filled up like 20 gallons and that lasted me that that was what pushed us over the edge and plus every time we boondock we always had the tank filled in the rv plus the spares in my truck and so but uh yeah man it it was it was quite the adventure we what loved was the it. coolest place you went on the trip coolest uh i don't know though there's a lot uh i will say the nicest like landscape Utah is like it's got to be it looks like Utah looks like another planet. It's just incredible. Uh and we only did like the southern portion of Utah, but it was it was beautiful. Um coolest. Oh man. I don't know. There was everything had its own little, you know, own little special moment about it. I mean, New Orleans was cool. We we happened to do New Orleans during Mardi Gras, didn't even time it. Just luck. Nice. Just luck. And the wife said she'll never do that again. And uh, <laughs> she's like, this place is dirty. We happen to be like, so boondocking, for those who aren't familiar, boondocking is like off the grid. You've got no water, electricity, no hookups, nothing. You're just out in nature. Dry camping is like, picture like a Walmart parking lot. That's that's dry camping. You, you're still around stuff but you just you're just not plugged into anything um well anyways we were dry camping in uh, like a parking lot in the middle of french quarters and all we heard was we our rv was parked alongside like near a sidewalk so people walking up and down two in the morning gunshots going off wake wake up to find like eight people were killed that night in the french quarters we were like my i told my wife about it she's like yeah we're never ever coming here again she's like seen it once good <laughs> so um but uh yeah you know we did we did uh the caves uh i i don't know arkansas was beautiful you know there was just so everything i will tell you what california's got so much to offer you know i you know i don't agree with some of the stuff they do and laws but i mean the state itself can't take away from it it was gorgeous i mean it was you got deserts you got snow-capped mountains you got the ocean you've got what, everything you can think of in one state um man you're but, on bucket list now yeah yeah i mean uh, like i said it, it it was definitely it was definitely uh an experience that I'll never forget. That's awesome. But another experience you're never going to forget is fatherhood. Sorry about that. What was that? So how fatherhood going? Fatherhood? Uh, I mean, as you know, this is number four. But uh, number four, and I look, I I love every bit of it, every moment of it. It's uh. Learn something new with every new addition, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it, especially. Well, this one was a little was a little crazier. It was, 
the baby was his shoulder was stuck on the way out and the whole room was in a panic so you know seeing him he was purple lifeless when they pulled him out it was it was a uh, it was pretty uh pretty crazy when it That's happened terrible. yeah it, it was i mean and he was wife wife pulled through though she did it all natural and epidural nine pound baby that's a big boy. Oh yeah, that yeah. Was, all of ours are huge, just like that. But I get it. I'm with you on those. I, just the fact that women can do that all natural is an amazing feat. Like I'm like, nope, I'd be epidural. Just hit me with it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Imagine being offered something to make it easier, and just uh, I'd rather go the go against the laws of physics and take you know the hardest route possible. <laughs> yeah, wear it like a badge of honor, right? I guess. I guess you. Could, Talk about it to your fellow females at the bar. <laughs> yeah. Not me. So I like to ask a few just random questions here. And the big one I want to get to here is so pivotal age in everybody's life, you know, is around 14. You're going out of middle school, heading into high school. So if you could talk to your 14 year old self, what advice would you give? What advice would I give my 14 year old self? Um, I don't. I, I would say just. I don't know. I I would I would say uh, be grateful for your health. Take advantage of it because, right now I feel like I mean I've gained weight. I, you know, dealing with my own health issues. But I would just say you know what be be grateful for what you have, uh, and enjoy enjoy life because you never know. Like I never thought I would have health issues you know that would hinder me from doing certain things um but uh yeah and i would that's probably the biggest takeaway from all of this would be just grateful for your health that's a great point you know we, we all take it for granted especially at that age so that's a perfect point so future focus here where do you want to be in five years five years actually that's exactly what we've planned like as far as we've got our five-year goal and uh five years we want to be uh still here in this area number one school district in florida so we want our kids to have the best and we want to have our house built in a there's a community down the street it's in a an equestrian community so that's our dream it's all the houses there have like minimum of like three acres so we're we want to build there and uh my business, hopefully, well, I know with hard work and determination that I'll get it to where I need it, but uh, to where I've got employees, I've got, I've branched out, I've got Airbnbs that I've purchased on the water now so where I can, you know, cut out the middleman of funneling equipment through it. Um, and my badass pool with a swim up bar. <laughs> well, and so I'm even expecting drink. a cool discount when I come down there next. I, I got you. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, we'll be here. She doesn't want to leave. So, uh, as we get ready to close this out, any comments or anything else you want to bring up? Any issues you like to highlight? Any place you want people to follow you at? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not huge on social media like that. But uh, I will be once I get this business run because we know that day and age everything is social media. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So once I uh, once I get this business up running, then I'll I'll hit you back up for a second interview. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll get you some exposure on social media. Yeah, but uh, no, I I've got nothing, man. It was it was it was great catching up, and I'm glad you were willing to listen to my story. No, I absolutely enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, like I said, so. that's pretty much what I got. Unless you have anything else you want to close out with, it's been a pleasure. I'm good. Hey, I appreciate you stopping by and checking up on me and uh, have a good one. You too. Enjoy the family. All right, man. <laughs> Thanks.